old to pray together like that. Uh, it was so interesting. Last night and this morning both, I was just feeling like our, time, our church needs times where people just pray together in a small group. And I asked Pastor John, you know, what he had planned for this, because that was a time we often pray for the persecuted church. And he, he said what he's going to do. And I'm like, yes, that was just, that's what a church should be doing. A church has to pray together or they'll never, ever be a true church. That's just an important part of the life of the church. Last week, Pastor John preached on living a called life. And he was preaching out of Acts where, where Paul and Barnabas were called to go on a journey to proclaim the gospel Pastor John really brought out how the great commission of discipling all nations is for everybody. It's not just for those that God says, go here. It is for the whole church. And one of the things that we have to find our role in that as individuals, but also as a church in what God wants us to do. And we're just picking right up with the story this morning of living that called life. Whether God is calling you to go to another nation or whether God is calling you to go to the coffee shop and sit down with somebody and have a cup of coffee and share life with them, we are all responsible we are all called to live a life that is called out of the world, but it's called out of the world for the purpose of sharing God, Jesus Christ, with the rest of the world. Pastor John focused on that. If you missed it last Sunday in his message, you had to be asleep. <laughs> because he stressed that so strongly. The call is not for one or two. It is for every believer. And by the way, if you did miss Pastor John's sermon last Sunday, there's a thing called video and it's online. <laughs> you don't have to miss it. Go back and catch it anytime. Uh, you never have to miss a message because Ishvan puts them right up. They're, they're up soon in the week. Um, you can always come back and catch the services at a later time. So picking up in Acts chapter 13, where Paul and, si uh, Paul and Silas, excuse me, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Silas comes later in the story, are departing on what I am calling a new adventure. So being sent out, or starting in verse 4, excuse me, it might be nice to tell you where we're reading. Acts chapter 13, verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed on to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salmus, or Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he was 
he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul was also, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. That's nice. You enemy of the, of the righteous, full of deceit and villainy. You will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. The proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Heavenly Father, together we've read your word, we've, we've looked at this. Now speak to our hearts. Show us what you want us to take from this message. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. In your Bible, you may have a title at this passage of Scripture. They'll say like the first missionary journey or Paul's first missionary journey, something like that. It's actually not the first time the apostles have traveled. It's not the first time Paul has traveled. If you read, remember when we were talking about Peter, and Peter was traveling, teaching the churches when God told him to go and proclaim the gospel to Cornelius. Philip was preaching through Samaria, traveling from town to town. So it's not the first time that it's happened, but there is, this, this is a new start. It's a new phase of the Christian work that's coming in. It's a new phase of church life where they are sending out people to proclaim the gospel. Now, the word apostle means one sent with a message. The word missionary is one sent on a mission. Uh, some will say that, you know, apostles, the Greek, missionary, the Latin, but they're not exact translations. We get the word missionary from being sent on the mission. But what was happening with Paul and Barnabas is God has set, God set them apart to go out and to begin to proclaim the gospel, intentionally taking the gospel to where it was not being proclaimed. It is what we call today missions. Missions is taking the gospel out where it is not being proclaimed. And it is an adventure. It's an adventure like no other. Now, of course, Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas, I did it again. Silas comes later. Paul and Barnabas, uh, as they're setting out, well, they're in Antioch, so they have to travel. Uh, each one, if you'll pop up that map just shortly, um, briefly, not shortly, uh, you just, I, I got this, um, I forgot where I got this. It's somewhere on the internet. You can find the same thing. It's probably in the back of your Bible. 
I usually write it down so I can properly reference it. But you can see they came out of Antioch to Seleucia. They set sail. They came to Cyprus. They preached across the island and then set sail again. Point out Tarsus is up there. Tarsus is Tarsus. Tarsus is Paul's hometown where he grew up. That's where Barnabas had to go find him to help him teach in Antioch because they had a lot of new believers and they were needing teaching. So that's just kind of put it there in the context. But this adventure is an adventure like no other. And I have up there, it is a wonderful life of suffering. Now, that is not the greatest call to put out to a missionary. Hey, you want a really good life of suffering? You want to be beaten? You want people to throw rocks at you? You want people to try to stop you? Have I got a job for you? It sounds crazy, but that's what the, the, they were facing. That's, that's what's coming ahead. One of the things that our mission board did when it was going through a, a number of statistics, they started finding in parts of the world, missionaries were reporting just a huge number of churches being planted. And a, just literally thousands of people coming to Christ. And mostly in Asia, some in, in, uh, um, you know, in India, a lot in China, but other Asian countries. And we started hearing in Africa, different ones. And they began to research what's going on. And they called these church planting movements because it's a whole movement of churches starting churches, most of them small house churches. But it was just explosive movements. And they said, what do, what do all these have in common? And they began to list out all the things. And if you ever read the book, um, oh, of course, the Church Planting Movements book by the guy that used to be our colleague, David Garrison. Excuse me. There was one thing they kept coming back to and they kept laughing about and they kept joking about, and that was missionaries suffer. He said, at one point, they finally came to the point, they looked around the room, and of all the missionaries that had experienced this, that they God had used them for these explosive movements, there was only one family still on the field. Every single family had had to go home because of health. He said, we were walking disaster areas. But they went out. And they faced it, and God used them in these mighty movements. When Carolyn and I came to the field and we're praying about God, we want to see a mighty movement. We knew, and we openly, and we faced it 100% that that prayer of a movement of God is a prayer for us to suffer. No matter what comes along, we will stay the course. And it's a prayer for suffering. I'm sure Paul and Barnabas, they didn't think about that when they started out. They didn't think about that when, when they're leaving you know, Antioch. But I can tell you, after a few years, you start forgetting. 
which aunts and uncles are still alive back home. You start forgetting which cousins are still with us. You even start forgetting, oh, who was that family relation? I can't remember. You start facing things like hospitals, and you start facing things that are painful. You start missing weddings. You start missing family. And you say, God, is it worth it? And that's when I come back to, it's a wonderful life of suffering. It's a, sometimes lonely, but I can tell you, it is worth every minute of the journey. It is the most amazing journey of life. And it's not easy. But God promised us that if we stay the course and we keep doing what he says to do, we will see the results. And you know, it doesn't matter if we see results in this lifetime or not. We know we've been faithful. But it is also a wonderful life of watching someone sitting at your table pray and give their heart to Jesus Christ. It is also a wonderful life of seeing nations come together. And I look out and I'm like, God, I'm so thankful we're out of space. We've been praying for new space. Look at the nations that are here today. Do you get this blessing at home in any other place? It is when you go out into the world that you meet the world and the world meets Christ and we come together and it is a blessing that we don't have words. I don't think we have words in English to express it. So they were being sent out by the Holy Spirit and it was God that was sending them on that mission. And they're waiting a life that Paul has no idea at this point what all's going to happen. He only knows that God's told him he's going to suffer. And when they had arrived at Salmas, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. See, they come into one place and they just start proclaiming the gospel. And how long it took, we really don't know. We don't know how long this journey really was. It, I mean, when Paul stayed a year and a half or two years in a place, it's noted in the Bible, he stayed there two whole years. You know, that was amazing for Paul. Usually he's getting kicked out of the places, so he has to go and part of the team stays behind. And that's the point is they had a team so that one or two could stay behind. Later, we're going to see where Timothy and Titus had to stay behind and teach because Paul's kicked out of a country or out of a city, excuse me. So they're working as a team. And here it mentions John. It, you know, they've been introduced in the, the chapter before and he's going to have problems coming up. But John's with them. So we know we've got at least a team of three. You've got Saul, who's called Paul, and Barnabas, and John. But we find out there's other companions with them also. It's not just John who is called or uh, Mark. 
but they're working as a team going out sharing the gospel. Now, anytime God does something, what does Satan do? (laughs) Satan always opposes the things of God. Always. He tries to fight against God. He's going to lose. I'm not sure if he's actually soaked that in yet, but he knows he's going to lose. Here's a guy named Bar-Jesus, and Bar means son, son of Jesus. Jesus is the guy's father's name. Uh, in the scripture, you know, Simon Bar-Jonah, which is, you know, the, the son of John. Uh, we can see that in other places of the scripture. His first name, and we would maybe say Johnson in today's English, but he's the son of Jesus and uh, Elimus. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his name, was his first name. And he's a magician, and he opposes the work. They'd gone through, and they came to a certain Jewish false prophet. There were a lot of false prophets. There's still today a lot of false prophets. I always tell people, be careful what you read. Be careful what you're watching on the Internet, because there's as many false prophets or more false prophets out there than there are good uh, preachers, good proclaimers. And he's with the proconsul, and the proconsul is an intelligent man. He wants to know what are these people preaching. And here comes this magician, and he is opposing the work of God. He is actively fighting against it. And I can tell you, there are a lot of people that will actively fight against the things of God, and sometimes it will surprise you who it is. Sometimes it's scary when you realize many of the people who should be proclaiming the truth are actually fighting the truth. And so here, Paul has to face the opposition, and he had to directly address it. Now, often, you see Paul tried to ignore it. Later, we're going to see that. But he came to a point where he had to address this person. I'll tell you what, that's pretty uncomfortable feeling sometimes. We were in a small group Bible study one time, and we had a lady claim to be Baptist, and she's telling the group that being born again is really reincarnation. (laughs) And it's like, "Um, no, it's not. You know, it was one of the places... Nobody in the group saying anything. They're soaking it up. Like, really? No, it's not. (laughs) There's times where, where Satan sends their person, and often, often, in the guise of a religious person or someone who should be teaching the truth. It's like, no, it's not reincarnation. It's a spiritual rebirth. It's not a flesh rebirth. It's a spiritual rebirth. Paul had to address it openly. And so Saul, who is also called Paul, verse 9, excuse me, but Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, 
Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Paul had to address it. Now, notice Paul didn't do it in his strength. (laughs) Filled with the Holy Spirit, God is empowering him. Paul's facing the opposition through the Holy Spirit, and he says, you're going to be blind for a time. How long? I don't know. It doesn't say. (laughs) It said like a mist fell over his eyes, and there's this shadow, and he can't see, and he's asking people to show him where to go. And what happened? What happened? What was the result? The proconsul believed. Look at that verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Oh, see, he believed. A proconsul, by the way, is a governor or military commander of an ancient Roman province, according to Merriam-Webster. <laughs> See, we did, um, there it is. I just put the definition up there in case you're wondering. Uh, you know, there's some, somewhere they said the word is still in use today. I don't know. It's, it's not a familiar word to me. He's a leader. He's a commander, maybe over the whole island. That's kind of my opinion. He's probably over the whole island of Cyprus, but I don't know for sure. He is a military commander. Or he's a governor. He is a man of authority and a man of position. And he believed when he saw what happened. But look at that last phrase. He saw the miracle, but he's astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It was the message that changed his heart. It wasn't just that he saw something happen. He didn't just believe because of a miracle. He believed because of Paul's teaching. Paul had a message to share, and it was the message that astonished him. That's what made him go, wow, I've never heard this before. Wow, this is so interesting. One time, Carolyn was uh, uh, helping as a translator with a baseball team or a baseball camp. And uh, we had an 83-year-old lady come on a volunteer team from the U.S. to a baseball camp. Yeah, she really ran the bases. <laughs> I'm thinking, why is an 83-year-old lady coming? Well, what we didn't know is that the school was going to ask us to come in and do a sports day for them. It was near the end of the year, and so lady, three-year-old lady sitting there painting kids' faces. But you know, when we were holding the sports camp and, and the, everybody's running, we had two uh, college coaches from the U.S. that taught at the college level. And do you know what that little lady did? She sat there, and she shared the gospel with people, 
She sat on a bench on the main square and prayed for every person that walked by. And at one point, the bookkeeper for the school came out and she's talking with this lady and I'm, I'm translating the conversation and that first conversation and it's very hard because they're talking about losing their husbands. I'm talking to two widows. Then I look over and see one of our translators standing behind me and I'm like, what am I doing? You should be doing this. But then later she hunted up, the, the, the Hungarian lady hunted up this little 83-year-old lady to find out what was different about her. What, her words, was she glowed? What's different? And Carolyn's translating that conversation and they had made the good news bracelets with the colored beads and and she said, I see the kids wearing these. What does that mean? And Carolyn is sharing or through translation. And the lady is literally sitting on the edge of her seat, leaning forward. And then she says, I've gone to church my whole life. And nobody's ever told me this. I've gone to church my whole life. And nobody's ever told me this. There are people going to church and not hearing the astonishing message of salvation. There are people going through ritual. There are people going through motions. There are people seeking different gods. There are people looking for the astonishing message out there. And when they hear it, many of them are coming literally to the edge of the seat. We've seen it multiple times. There are so many people out there. They're waiting for that astonishing message. You know, the word of God changes lives. As John was preaching last week, we have a responsibility to live a called life. Every believer not just the few that are sent overseas, but every believer has a role to play somehow. But today there are still many yet to hear. I looked up this morning some of the latest statistics. They say there are 3.23 billion people live in unreached people groups. 3.23 billion people. I seen close to half of the world's population still live in unreached. And by unreached, uh, we're talking less than 2% believers, very limited gospel message. And for people group, it's an ethno-linguistic self-identity. They identify themselves as this people. A two or three Point two three billion, and they said that was the estimated statistic as of January one this year. According to the Joshua Project, we still have two hundred and eighteen unengaged, unreached people groups, where we do not know of anybody actively sharing the gospel. Not just with the people or individuals, but with the, in that people group that are still just to have somebody take the message. 
and share this astonishing story with them. You know, if we would get the church as a whole, would get really serious, how long would it take to engage that other 218? Some have different statistics. This is actually the smallest, by the way. Some still put it as high as 3,000, depending on how you break it down. Our mission board uses 100,000, a people group of 100,000 or more. If there's less than 100,000 people, we'd say it's probably not a distinct people group. Getting serious about it, could we not find 218 churches that will say, we will be responsible to find a way? And in most of these places, you can't go as a missionary. In most of these places, you go out there and you start sharing the gospel, you lose your head, literally. You, you Often you, you end up beaten. You go through what Paul and Barnabas went through. And often Christians have to go as teachers or business people or... Um, I know in one country, uh, there was an oil company that had a Christian that was in the administration. and He would intentionally try to find the Christians in his company that would say, we're going to train you how to share the gospel in that culture. <laughs> Different ways that God uses. We don't have to go just as a missionary. You can go as a business person. You can go as a student. You can go as a teacher. You can go in any profession and live a called life and share this astonishing story with the world. We need to get that message out. Last week, Pastor John reviewed with us the Great Commission. And I want to do that again. Let us not lose sight. Looking in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And when Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth, or the end of the age. God, it's God's authority, not ours. It's God's message. It's an astonishing message. It's the power of God that changes lives. It's the power of his word. As we come to the end, come to the, 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 what I call a call to action. The time where we call, also call it an invitation, where we invite you to get on board with what God is saying. What is your role in the command to disciple all nations? What is your role in discipling all nations? What is God calling you to do? Last week, as Pastor John was, was saying, each one of us are called to live a called life. 
Not all of us have the same role. What is it that God is telling you today? What's your role? What's God telling you this morning? What are the steps you should take today? Now that ends on a very serious note, a note of self-reflection, a time to ask God, Lord, what is my role? My wife and I were called to sell a house, move overseas. It's a little scary when you have two kids. You spend all your money on airplane tickets, and you just trust God to get you back home. Well, actually, we had round trip tickets. We knew we could go back, so when we first came. But then we came as short-term with our mission board. Our salary was half of a career missionary salary. Two kids. How do you live on that? That's our role. God called us to that. Now we do work with the mission board and we're, we're supported by the churches in the States. I'm very thankful for. But some of you are called to a different role. Some of you are called to live out that called life while a student. Is there somebody, students, is there somebody in your class that you know you need to talk to? Would you be willing to commit to talking to them this week? Yes, it's exam week, and so it's going to be hard. And if you make that commitment, Satan's going to fight you. You're going to face opposition. Is there someone back home you need to do a phone call to? Is there somebody else you know? What steps do you need to take this morning? What, what commitment do you need to take?